Welcome to Talk Shop, a commercial real estate finance podcast sponsored by Clear Market. Each episode, we'll bring you real conversations with industry professionals and talk about how deals are getting capitalized with bridge, construction, and equity financing. Today's guest is Derek Kerma. Derek is the Vice President of Arbor Realty Trust, a publicly traded REIT focused on multifamily and residential for rent financing. Prior to Arbor, Derek was an originator at Bandon Bank and Bank of the West. He's a graduate of the University of Oregon and currently resides in San Diego, California. Derek, welcome to the show. Um, great to have you on and excited to get into it. Um, before we start talking about Arbor um, and kind of you know, all that you're doing there, I uh, would love to hear more about your background. Uh, you know, where are you from? Where'd you go to school? How'd you get into real estate? Portland, Oregon, uh, born and raised, pretty close to the Nike campus. I uh, went to college at University of Oregon in Eugene, and I've pretty much been in real estate finance my, my whole life. I uh, started off to pay for college uh, doing home equity loans and, and small business loans. And, uh, you know, you, you start doing something and there, there's an element of, of doing loans that feels like scoring a touchdown. In football, every time you you get something closed, you get that uh, that rush of endorphins, and and so I've just continued forth in that. And you know, you wake up 15 years later, um, and you've you've evolved, and uh, you know, doing a similar thing but to larger scale and more complicated transactions. And so that's you know, it's just been sort of a long process of of growing in in real estate finance for me. Awesome. And are you from Oregon originally, or? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice. Portland, Oregon. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Fortunate to live in uh, San Diego now. Been down here for around five or six years and uh, I'm not leaving. You're going to have to drag me out of here. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't leave either. Um, cool. So uh, tell us about Arbor and you know what, what you guys are doing there. What's your credit box, your investment criteria? What are you looking for? Pretty much all things multifamily. Uh, related, uh, we have we tend to lean a little more into the permanent debt side, but uh, have some bridge and, and some construction programs. Um, the, there's so much bridge going on in, in the multifamily space right now in general that the proportion of loans that I've done historically versus now is is shifting that direction. Um, you know, I think you you've seen a real renaissance of Class C multifamily becoming you know Class A or Class B. Um, so th- there's th- there's a process of financing an unstabilized property that, that requires bridge debt. And so uh, th- that's been something we lean into. Um, but uh, for, for the most part, we're, we're focused on on the permanent side of, of, of the debt. Nice. Yeah, that kind of brings up a question I wanted to get into just as kind of like an industry trend, uh, the, the bridge to agency. Um, yeah space has just gotten super hot you know a lot of groups like yours have that as almost like a hook to secure takeout financing um yeah. can you tell us about uh you know yeah how you look at that program and how you're positioning yourselves in the market to compete there yeah yeah and i think a big part of that is understanding the reason why the market has shifted that way and a lot of it has to do with stabilized cap rates i mean cap rates across the across major metros in the nation have compressed significantly. I mean, with lower interest rates, right? We've had low interest rates since 2008. So we're talking, we're talking 12 years of, of cap rate compression. 
And so when you have investment groups seeking returns, you, you can't just go buy a stabilized asset and get things. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing deals in even markets that were historically secondary markets. You know, we're not talking New York or L.A. or San Francisco, secondary markets with, with cap rates in the fours um, for a stab- maybe even a partially stabilized asset. So, so really, you've got a lot of these investment groups digging through uh, older Class C multifamily and looking at, well, how does the cash flow compare if I convert this thing to a, you know, to a Class B or Class A asset from where it is now? And, th- and that's where the value is created. Um, but it doesn't finance as well with permanent debt because permanent programs are looking for going in cash flow. So how do you get around that issue of I've got weak going in cash flow on this property, but I want some meaningful amount of leverage on it. I don't want to come in with the 60% down that the current cash flow supports. Um, so that, that's where a bridge loan comes in. You, you essentially are underwriting to the terminal cash flow, you know, which is at the end of my, at the end of my renovation plan, here's what I expect, you know, and the property gets rented, here's what I expect my cash flow to look like. We're going to underwrite to that with, with a short-term credit facility up front that, that's geared up for maybe two or three years. Um, and then once that's, uh, once that's finished, you, and, and the property stabilized, you, you come in and refinance the bridge loan out um, and put your permanent debt on it and possibly even recapitalize if you've, you know, in addition to the bridge, if you've created you know, more value than the bridge loan even supported uh, at onset. And then I was just going to uh, talk about, so the Arbor's position is, tends to be less on the stretch side and more on the low rate side where we're, you know, we're providing, you know, excellent uh, lower pricing, um, lower origination, um, but maybe not uh, doing uh, the, the, the really stretch projects, you know, or, um, and, and I think we will do some of it for, certain sponsors but you know we're, we're uh so but we're, we're more focused on you know a, maybe a slightly more sophisticated sponsor with, with better terms you know is uh tends to be our niche and you'll find some groups that will you know charge you double the interest and maybe double the fee but we'll stretch a little further um on the experience so that that's sort of where we fall uh within the you know within the spectrum of, of bridge lenders Gotcha. So experienced sponsors, lighter value add plays, um, and you're, you're bridging them to that agency takeout. Um, I always like to contextualize that with a, a real deal. So is there anything you worked on recently that, that maybe we could use to illustrate, uh, you know, for our listeners? Yeah. I mean, you know, several, and they're, they're really all, they all follow this, the same model where, where you're taking, you know, you, you're taking a look at, at what the cash flows are currently. Um, and so specific might be like a you know, recent one is a 10% um, renovation budget relative to the purchase price. I mean, that, that's sort of how you get a gauge for the, the amount of lift. You know, if, if you're buying a property for 10 million and, and you're putting 7 million into the renovation, like that tends to be a heavier lift than if you're, you know, so looking at it as a percentage standpoint, um, so a recent one that, you know, maybe one that I'm currently looking at right now is, is in the South, um, is a $12 million acquisition with, with a, you know, $1.4 million reno budget. And that one that has going in cash flow that's, that's pretty strong. Um, you, you've got, you've got going in cash flow that's, that's north of one to one. Um, 
So what that does is that that gives you even lower pricing um, on the front end. And it also brings in a couple of, of agency programs. Um, like a Freddie, Freddie has a floating product right now um, that has really attractive pricing, but is underwriting to the current rent. So in this particular deal, we've got enough cash flow where we have an option to either do a bridge or to do a, a, a permanent product with a floating rate to give you flexibility to exit. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a little, I don't want to go into too much specifics <laughs> on, on current. I know that's a, that's always, I, I thought about that in advance of this. Um, and so you, I, I need to be really careful about, you know, not uh, giving up too much or any private information, but also it's, it's pretty boring if I don't give you some specifics. So, yeah, so that's the nature of this specific deal that we're talking about is because the going in cash flow is, is so good. You have, you have a multitude of options to accomplish it. If we were looking at another deal that is that we don't have good cash flow going in, then bridges are is really our only option. And I'm I'm looking at you know two different deals right now that are that fit into those two different buckets. Um, one with more options and and one with limited options. So when you say more options, that's that's a deal that has strong cash flow out of the gate or stronger. And yeah. has the option to maybe go directly into an agency loan, but yeah. would, would prefer to, to use the bridge for term flexibility and, and maybe right. just a little bit more leverage. Well, and so the unique thing about if you have a value add deal on a property uh, that, is, that has strong going in cash flow, you can get a little bit of the best of both worlds with the Freddie floating product right now. So you can get a rate that is, is very, very low. Um, based on the as is cash flow with a really flexible prepay on a Freddie floating product, if you have strong enough cash flow going in. So that's a normal agency loan has a somewhat restrictive prepayment penalty. So if you're going to buy the property for 12, put two minute, 2 million into it, and now it's worth 16 or 17, you've got an opportunity to recapitalize after that value add. But if you get a stable, if you did typical agency loan with a, inflexible prepayment penalty up front, you can't really recapitalize after. So this Freddie product comes in there and gives you the ability to take the low rate up front, um, but also recapitalize a year down the road once the value add is done. So it, it's a bit of a hybrid between a bridge and a, in a conventional agency program. And, and what gave the, the, the sponsor that option on this deal is uh, that the cash flow going in was, you know, is north of a one, two, five. Um, you sort of got varying tiers of going in cash flow where um, you, you may get better or worse pricing. You know, one, two, five is an important metric. A one to one cash flow is an important metric. And then if you're talking like completely, you know, vacant like that, that's a, that's a, you know, with no cash flow going in, that, that's a further stretch and it gives you less optionality. You're, you're pretty much looking at a bridge. Right. But, but that's something that you can look at, something that, that has little to no cash flow, and, and you can see where the market is on a finished product and, and bridge yeah. in there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in hotel to, uh, to apartment conversions are, are, are one that we've looked at uh, lately. That, that, that's that scenario where you don't have any cash flow going in. Um, and, and I would say experience matters more on that type of deal. You know, you, you want to know that somebody has a history of, of 
being able to execute that because you're obviously you have no cash flow. It's it's a bigger lift. So I so I think you know matching your experience to the to the type of deal you want to pull off it becomes important with a bridge. And the you need to have more experience relative to the amount of lift you do. Right. Definitely. So that's a big piece of the underwriting there is that experience. Um, what else is, is maybe kind of critical to the underwriting process that is either, you know, maybe killing deals, you know, at the finish line or, you know, some, some way through the underwriting process. Yeah. Well, God willing, like nothing gets killed at the finish line, you know, hopefully it's, <laughs> you're figuring all that stuff out up front and we do work really hard to do that because it's finish line deaths are not, it's just, it, it's a, it's a reputational suicide for the, you know, on the lending side, but um, yeah, killing stuff up front is, you know, net worth, liquidity experience. I mean, I think, I think liquidity tends to be one that is, is hard, you know, you, because, you know, your instinct is to not hold cash right now when you're, you're making 0.05 basis points on it. It feels like it's dead money when it's sitting, you know, we're printing, you know, more money. M1 money supply has quadrupled since prior to the recession. It feels bad holding cash. Um, you want to deploy it into assets. But from an underwriting standpoint, you like to know that somebody has liquidity if something doesn't go as planned. You know, I, I think anybody who's been in real estate for a long time realizes that, you know, you have a game plan, and, you know, until you get punched in the mouth, and, you know, and then you've got to be able to adjust and, and cash sort of is that, you know, is that is gives you the flexibility to adjust, you know, um, it, you know, it's, it's some real estate can be a lot like sports. And I, and I think that, you know, liquidity is a deep bench. You know, when somebody gets hurt and uh, or, you know, there's a little there, you find out there's some sort of contamination on the property or, you know, whatever it is or, or a, a seismic repair that needs to happen that you didn't anticipate um, having cash set aside to, to cover that stuff gives you a high degree of certainty that the project's going to get done. And, you know, it, it's OK to make a little less money on a sometimes on a on a a value add deal than you maybe budgeted it's not okay to not finish you know like that that's the sort of minimal impact to catastrophic impact so so keeping you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 percent of, of the debt and liquidity is it's not a hard mark necessarily for any type of lending but it's I think it'll give you a much better chance of getting the financing you want and making it easier and getting the lender to stretch with you. If you have some money set aside to, to handle unforeseen circumstances that inevitably happen. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's not something catastrophic, uh, just, you know, little, little things can throw hiccups in the project, especially heavier value add where, you know, if all of a sudden the subcontractors aren't getting paid, that snowballs and, you, know, you, you want to have the liquidity to, to carry that and, and ride those those uh, unforeseen hiccups out, um, and that's a good transition. I I got a question I always ask you: tell us a war story. You know, you, you again, you don't have to tell us all the details, but your specifics. Um, be conscious of confidentiality, but you know, where, what's a deal where you know maybe you you've seen uh, the project not go as planned? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did think of one recently, and, and the real hero of this war story is uh, is my client on this one, um, uh, because uh, she uh, 
so she's buying a property out of state um and um you know she did this is during covid so she's going along uh, the process doing everything like she's supposed to order ordering the appraisal turning in documents we're we're, we're on the gates of closing um and the, the seller essentially gets a sort of gets a, a higher offer like a higher cash offer uh last second and he's got a a lien on title that he hasn't released from from an old transaction so we we can't close until title is square so we're sitting there waiting for him to to get the lien released and he just uh drags it out beyond the close date and then goes dark um and so she uh it, it, she really showed me how important tenacity is to to being successful in real estate cuz she she uh fought with this guy like in court for six months uh just to you know win the right to buy the property uh yeah and she did and we, we closed it just fairly recently but it, but it took six or seven months um she had to you know spend a lot of money and she had to uh i mean rates up moved in the meantime because i, I you've been watching the treasuries um so she wound up i mean we, we still did really good for her like we made some exceptions and you know tried to ease the the burden of that but she spent a lot of money between court and then getting uh third parties updated and uh uh and she finally made it happen and closed and uh you, you know when i talked to her she um she really said she just did it because it was the right thing to do you know sometimes you know there there are financial decisions and sometimes you you just do things because it's right <laughs> you know principle matters um and having the tenacity to follow your principles despite short-term pain um you know can really uh help you win the war you know and i, and I think uh, approaching it like that that you know this is i, I want this trans transaction to go easy like i want things to go smoothly and not have problems but if i have problems so help me god i'm gonna make it happen and um you know, I, that's an important lesson. I think you know you you take forward when you're when you're getting into deals is you know you've got to have tenacity and, and, and see it through. Yeah. So what what uh, did, did he end up having another buyer that came in and, and tried to you know what, how did how did that end in the short term? Before, before? I, I don't I don't fully know. You know, like that that's sort of the what I what I heard from you know sort of through the grapevine that there was you know maybe a, a better offer. Um, but you know, it didn't matter because he was in contract, you know, like he had a legal binding contract and then it didn't, you know, and then he drug it out himself, you know, beyond the, beyond the close date. And it was just, I don't think most people would have, I, I think from a, you know, legal standpoint, it was pretty obvious. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not an attorney of course, but from my perspective, it, it seemed like within the, the terms of the agreement, it was pretty obvious. He had an obligation to sell the property, but um, most people are not going to, if you do that, you pull out, most people aren't going to take you to court you know, over it. Most people are just going to go financially. It's not worth it. Um, I'll just find another property, you know, and, and not deal with this. But, um, but there's an element of, of principle, you know, that really mattered. Um, yeah. To her well, yeah. Nobody wants to, to lawyer up and go to court. Uh, it's expensive, and you know, but yeah. you know, I think good for your, your client for doing that because uh, there's not a lot of oversight, and uh, you know, that's her her way of uh, a little bit of 
you know, being the oversight there. Uh, Principles, just doing the right yeah. thing, you know, just, just doing the right thing. Like, you know, she said her, her dad, you know, was in her head, like saying, just do the right thing, you know, um, I mean, he, you know, passed away, but so it was just the, you know, the memory, you know, of him like saying, do things because it's right. Like, because it's principle, it's the right thing to do. It's not always, you know, nickels and, and, and you know, dollars and cents uh, may be the right thing to do. But I mean, long-term, I, I think if you, you go into transactions expecting to, uh, you know, to be tested and, <laughs> you know, and then be pleasantly surprised if you're not, because not all are, you know, a lot, a lot goes smooth, but, but you go and expected to be tested and rely on your principles to get you there. I, I think things really work out well in the long run. Yeah, definitely. Um, so maybe, you know, I, I was going to get into our current event topic, but we've kind of already covered it uh, with, you know, bridge to agency space. Maybe give us a little bit more insight into how decisions are getting made within the organization. You know, what, what, what can a, a sponsor expect, uh, you know, beyond, you know, showing their net worth and liquidity and their, their track record? Um, what's the due diligence process like? Well, so we're all, yeah, we're all non-recourse. So for the most part, like other than those basic tests on the personal side, you know, do you have experience? Do you have the net worth? Do you have the liquidity? It's mostly property specific information. So, I mean, I think as a, as a buyer, when you're looking at deals, if you're wanting to put permanent debt on it, you're not thinking bridge. I think it's really important to focus on the collections, um, you know, figuring out not, not necessarily like if the property was fully rented and um, if everybody was paying, what would the cash flows look like? But historically, what do the actual collections and cash flows look like? You know, we, we can do things to modify operating budgets and operating expenses if you have a sound reason to reduce things. But, um, but how the property has been functioning for the last three months, really, like is really something to, you know, to, to be cognizant of when you're going in and sort of temper your expect expectations of the financing accordingly um, in terms of leverage, you know, that won't shouldn't affect the pricing too much. Like the pricing is all good. I mean, we're, we're talking treasuries in the 150 range. Um, and I mean, historically it's unbelievable, you know, and, and we've, we've been here for, we've been here for 10 years. So it seems that we are in a secular decline for interest rates and, you know, maybe there are sound financial reasons that that's happening in aging population, um, you know, global low rates, like with Japan being near zero or, or negative, um, Europe being near, near zero since really 2008. I mean, there are good reasons why, you know, you can expect that. Um, but, um, but yeah, so from, so, so that it won't really affect the financing, but, but the collections will really affect your, your loan sizing, you know, you, and, uh, and I, that sort of dovetails into the bridge conversation again, where if the collections are too bad, like we're starting to slide back into the bridge side of the house, but for permanent debt, like really focusing on historical collections rather than, you know, the rent roll or the, the market rent roll. If you're looking for permanent debt, if you're a rel if you're a newer buyer that doesn't necessarily have, the value add experience, like the best way to start is with a permanent product, you know, something that's, that, that, that's, you know, maybe commensurate with your net worth, you know, commensurate with your experience, get a, get one or two of those, you know, season them for a couple of years and your options will really start to, 
to open up for you. You, you, you sort of graduate into you know, more sophisticated debt products as your experience meets it. And, and so speaking explicitly to the, to the permanent conversation, like looking at um, how is it actually doing right now is, is a really important concept and, and something that's a little bit counterintuitive because we're all optimistic creatures and we look at, you know, maybe not everybody, uh, a lot of people in real estate are optimistic creatures because you, you, it, it takes a leap of faith to, to spend a lot of money on properties sometimes. And so you have to have a sense of, I'm going to make this thing work. This thing is going to look really good. But when you're financing, you can't focus on that <laughs> unless it's a bridge. If, if, you're, if you're financing with permanent debt and it's one of your first deals, you really have to look at how the property has operated for the last three months. Yeah. Um, there's always a, a little bit of push and pull between sponsors, like you said, very optimistic and, and uh, credit, credit uh, decision makers who, you know, have to look at the, uh, the project in a critical light. So you, I guess the, the takeaway there is, is uh, know how that property is operating really, really, you know, dig into what's the historicals. Don't just go by market. Yes. Yes. Um, Create your own operating budget. You know, like the, the operating, you know, the offering memorandum from the, it does not, it should not be your operating budget. Like you should create your own, even if it's very close, cause some OMs are good. Um, but you, you should really create your own and really understand the cash flows. Um, but I, I love the optimistic nature of real estate investors. I mean, that is, that's what makes the job, you know, fun. Most of the time is, is the excitement you know, around, around a new deal and how it's going to work. And those are some of the most rewarding deals. Like when you, when you hit your projections, you know, or exceed them. I mean, you, you see that happen too sometimes where you actually get more rent than you thought, or your expenses were lower than you thought. Um, so the optimistic nature of it is what makes it so fun, but you have to, at least when you're, when you're doing your underwriting, you have to really focus on, on the now rather than the, the, the future. And that's right. That that's a tough dichotomy for for optimistic minded individuals sometimes. Well well you always do a really nice job of, of uh striking that balance and, and you do it early on and it's intuitive, you know, and, and you know second nature to you. So um it's it's always fun to run something by you at an early stage. You're you're able to hit that, you know, pretty much on the head. So um Let's let's kind of wrap it up with uh, with a a good deal. You know, tell us about what's what's the one of the best transactions uh, that you've worked on in real estate. Could be with our could be personal deal. Um, one here. Yeah. Well, I mean, the you know, since we just talked about the war story, that was almost the best one. Was closing that one after after all that. But you know, but in general, um, the value add deals where you're you're executing the, the exit better than, uh, what you thought. Um, and I, I have a, I have a recent one, um, that was in the, the Northwest. Um, you know, that was like that where we're, we're refinancing a, um, it actually wasn't a bridge loan that we did. It was a bridge loan that somebody else did. Um, but, uh, but I, I looked at it up front, um, and they, they hit their, they hit their metrics uh, and, and exceeded them. So we wound up being able to recapitalize them better than we initially thought. And what made this one extra good was the, the interest rate, like where we came in, in coordinates with like the grid pricing. And I think this is sort of an, an interesting nuance to how Fannie Mae loans 
ultimately lock their interest rates. Um, you know, you have a Fannie Mae. So this is when we're going to the exit. This is a permanent, like we're locking the rate. When you're going to lock that rate, there's almost a bidding process. I mean, there, yeah, there really there's a bidding process that happens uh, for that debt instrument. So you've got like the Fannie Mae grid, and then you've got all these investors that could be, you know, that could be a, a, a middleman for another investment group. They could be a, a REIT themselves. They could be representing a pension fund, but they're buying these bonds because they want fixed income and they're all bidding for the transaction at the last second. Um, so that, that's a, so it almost, it feels almost like eBay sometimes where, you know, you've got somebody offering, okay, I'll do this one at three and a quarter. Okay. Well, I've got one at three and a quarter. What about 322? Um, and so for this particular deal where they exceeded their, their cash flow expectations, um, we, uh, we came in roughly 15 basis points below the expectation, below the grid, because the, the bond buying process went so well. That auction was so competitive. There were so many people interested in this particular bond that they, they bid it down 15 basis points below what we were expecting. Um, and so the, and so the buyer wound up, um, the sponsor wound up getting, a you know, a bigger loan and a better rate and having a project that just totally like met their optimistic, you know, their most optimistic, uh, potential range of outcomes, like for, for all levels. And so you, you just, you feel really good when, you know, when you, when you have that sort of thing happen. Um, yeah, it's nice to return a lot of that equity in, in the, in the refinance there. Um, that, that brings up kind of an interesting insight into the, the, I guess the secondary market side of these transactions, you actually have bond buyers, fixed income guys bidding on specific assets on you before you lock that rate. What, who manages that process? Our capital markets team. Like we, yeah. And, that we, I, I'm really lucky. Like we have a, a really strong, like seasoned capital markets team, and you know relationships matter a lot to these guys when they're, uh, you know, when they're going out to the various fixed income buyers. Um, so yeah, we we have a whole team that really doesn't do anything besides that, besides like just manages the pricing and, and the the bond process, and and these guys work really hard. I mean, and I, I think that's really one of the biggest difference makers you can have. You know when you're yeah. doing so so you've you've got the grid and that that's indicative of of what to expect but you can actually have your team go out there and outperform that at when it's most time to lock most times they do yeah i mean i i you know like you, you don't expectations you want to set them at the grid if you can early on because you don't ever want to you know, want to come in below, but, uh, but yeah, no, most of the time they do, most of the time they, they, they do exceed. Um, and, uh, and they work really hard to do that. You know, it'd be, their jobs would be a lot easier if they just took the first thing that came across you know, but they, they, they really, sh they work hard to shop because they know how much of a difference, you know, a couple of basis points can make over the long run. Um, awesome. so, well, that's, yeah. uh, Great, great kind of, um, I, I wasn't aware of all that. So it's um, yeah, interesting to, to hear and um, it kind of to, to wrap this up, I guess, you know, what, what are you looking for if, if there's a sponsor out there that uh, has a deal that, that might be a fit? Um, 
what's the best way for them to present that to you and, and, and get in touch with you? Uh, they should call you first and then, uh, and then, and then uh, you can call me and we'll work together on it. I mean, that's, that's one of the best parts about, you know, my, my structure is I, I, I have, you know, a select group of, of, uh, you know, professional colleagues like, like you who uh, we work together on deals, you know, I'll, we'll talk through the spreads. We'll, we'll understand the, the sponsor together. So, you know, if you, if you do, if you borrow with us, like you have a whole team looking out for your best interests. And um, so, yeah, uh, you know, call Max and we'll, uh, and we'll work together like we always do. I appreciate the plug there. Um, and uh, I appreciate you coming on. It's, it's been a great chat. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll do it again. Something soon. Sounds good, man. Appreciate your time very much.